Well, welcome once again. Glad to have you guys here as we look at our second part to our parental responsibilities, which is discipline and now instruction, as we look at our second part of instruction. The last several weeks, we've kind of taken our marching orders from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, which says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath or anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction are not completely separate things, but they're kind of two sides of the same coin. We took a couple of weeks and looked at discipline, and now we are going to finish up instruction today. So last week, we looked at a few of the first um, key points on instruction. Instruction means putting into the mind, putting into the mind. So we are, our job is to put into the mind of our kids scripture or correct thoughts and facts about God and correct attitudes and how we should respond to him. And we saw that children need instructing because they are naive and simpletons. They are young and they don't know things and so God has given them you and me and his word to uh, instruct them. We also saw that is our uh, responsibility to do that, that we need to embrace our responsibility for instructing our children. Other things can be helpful, but this is our job, our responsibility. And that is easier when we remember the goal in instructing, that they would learn the material, they'd be convinced of its truthfulness, and, Lord willing, that they would continue in that um, into adulthood and beyond. And we saw The bulk of our time last week was recognizing that your example is instructing your children, and you can't get away from this. Whether you like it or not, you are, your example is instructing your children. Your life speaks volumes. What you worship and how you worship is contagious to your kids. What you love, they will gravitate towards as well, and that your marriage preaches the gospel to your children as well. Um, And so husbands need to be loving their wives as Christ loved the church, and wives, you should be submitting and having respect for your husband uh, just like the church does to Christ. But it's not just our example, um, but we need to prioritize scripture in instructing our kids because scripture gives wisdom for salvation. It is what gives wisdom for salvation and it is profitable. We saw that it is profitable for teaching. The content of what we teach. We're teaching our kids how to go on the right path of life, the narrow road that leads to life, teaching them uh, the content, not necessarily the process or the method here, uh, but the content needs to be um, biblical truth. We also looked at um, the fact that scripture is profitable for reproof. We show our kids the right way, and if they go off the path, um, then we reprove them and we show them the right way. And the scripture is what exposes and informs our kid's heart and helps them, helps bring conviction and helps them recognize that they're in danger. And once they recognize that, we open the word of God for correction. If you miss your turn um, on the GPS, it tells you, you know, turn around or it, it gives you a new route. And that's what we need to be doing with our kids. When they're off base or they stumble, we help them up, we correct them. And then we ended with talking about training in righteousness. So scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. This is giving them, equip, equipping them um, to not stumble next time, to stay on their feet, giving them the tools that they need to not fall to temptation um, the next time. When uh, I was young, I was 12 actually, we moved from the suburbs of Denver, Colorado to Wise County, Texas. And we moved from a small yard, 
a house with a small yard to an acreage of three and a half acres, which doesn't seem like much, but when you're 12, it's a lot of space when you come from the city. And the majority of that three acres was just overrun with brambles and, and trees and all sorts of things. Um, so it, it was like a, a wilderness in there. So after we got the, the U-Haul unloaded, the first thing we kids did, there were six of us, is we ran out into the woods and explored. And we quickly got our, our legs all cut up by the brambles. And the next morning, we were covered head to toe in poison ivy. Right? A couple of things that we hadn't encountered in the suburbs of Denver. And so what my dad did is he took us into the woods and he showed us the poison ivy. And he said, you got to avoid this stuff. Okay? This is what it looks like. If you touch it, you know, this is what's going to happen. Okay? And he, he taught us how to avoid that. He also showed us the brambles and how to, how to get rid of them. So you can't just cut them down. You have to dig them up or burn them. And so he taught us how to avoid them and then how to get rid of those things. And that's what we are doing when we are training our kids, training them in righteousness, how to recognize sin and how to kill sin in their life and how to prepare themselves now for the temptation that is surely to come. And it's the scriptures that are profitable for that. Not your knowledge or your wisdom or your skill, although God gifts you with certain things, but if we're not opening up the word of God to teach and train them, then we're not gonna have as much success. So it is the scriptures that are profitable for those things, and therefore, scripture needs to be the primary content of our instruction. We want to build in the hearts and minds of our kids an awe for the Bible, an awe for the God of the Bible, that the word of God is the word of the God of all creation, the God that creates all things, created heaven, heavens and the earth in six days, with words from his mouth. That is an awesome, unbelievable God, and he has shown himself to us through his word. Who he is, what he's done, and how we must respond to him. Okay, so we need to emphasize the text of the scripture. And you need to create a culture in your home that um, exalts God and has a high view of God and a high view of scripture. The same thing that we have in our worship center over there uh, on the, the, the big lettering. High view of God and high view of scripture in your home. The text of scripture, right? Post verses around your house. You know, make that a big thing um, that you um, are memorizing scripture. You're posting that in your house and also the story of scripture. You know, there's a reason that the majority of the Bible or a good portion of it is narrative because stories draw us in. Stories draw your children in as well. So you can, you know, perhaps your kids are struggling. They have an obsession with something, right? They're just, you can tell that something's got their heart. And if they don't get that thing, whatever it is, a game, video game, a, a particular set of cards, whatever it is, and you know what I'm talking about, your kids just gravitate towards something. And when they don't get it, they lash out in anger, okay? That's revealing to you that they have an idol in their heart. And so telling stories. Remind, rem, this reminds me, you could say, of the story of Jacob and Esau, for example, a biblical story. Remember, Esau craved something so much that he was willing to give up, his, give up God's promise in order to get that thing for that quick gratification, right? And for the rest of his life, it, it caused problems. And it's important for you to care more about honoring God right now than about that thing, whatever it is that they need to treasure Christ more than anything else. And those are God-given opportunities and there's stories in the Bible that you can reference that will help kind of connect that to your child's heart. 
So the text of Scripture, the stories of Scripture, also the theology of Scripture, you know, what the Bible says about a specific thing. God, sin, man, you know, things like the Trinity or Christ, the importance of the church. And I'm going to give you a few um, helpful resources here in a bit that will help kind of round out the theology in the hearts and minds of your kids. Um, so theology of Scripture, the right, wise application of Scripture. You know, maybe your kids are like mine, and if they get any money in their hands, it just flows like water, you know, through their hands. And they have a hard time saving money. And so you open the Scriptures. You know, you have an issue or a problem, go to the Word of God. Proverbs twenty-one twenty says that the foolish person is the one who devours everything that he has. And so open the Word of God and let them kind of see that where you go for wise application of life is the word of God, and that's where they need to go as well. Get your children used to applying the Bible in times of trouble or difficulty or, or what they need to know. And also emphasize the practice of Scripture, Christian living, godly ethics, the great commission, that this is not all about us. This is about the God of all creation, glorifying Him and being obedient to Him, including sharing the gospel with other people. And again, this is not about Bible knowledge. It's about life transformation, right? Our, our greatest desire is that our kids would embrace the Savior. So it is the scriptures that will begin to shape their thinking and their affections and their attitudes and after that, shape their actions as well. So we want our kids to turn their hearts to the Lord and continue serving Him all the days of their life. And when we instruct our kids, the scriptures need to be front and center. And if we want to, our kids to um, embrace the Savior, we want the scriptures to, to be front and center in their hearts and minds and shape the affections, then scripture must fill our minds and our hearts because you can't teach what you don't know. You can't teach what you don't know. And you can't teach well what you barely understand. Um, I saw, I don't know if you know who Steph Curry is, but... I, don't, I haven't kept up, but I think he's probably still one of the best NBA players. But a couple years ago, just unbelievable basketball player. Best player in the world, amazing shooter, great at ball handling. And I saw a YouTube video of his kind of workout that he does every day for ball handling, right? So he, he has a coach and he's dribbling like two balls and he's doing all this stuff between his legs. And then his coach starts throwing him tennis balls and he's dribbling the balls and he catches the ball and he throws it back to his coach over and over and over again, day after day after day, year after year after year, he does this, and he's the best at his game. Then he starts dribbling, and his coach grabs another tennis ball and starts hitting him in the face, because if he can handle that, then he can handle those types of things in the game. Okay, now he does all of that, even though he's really good at it already, every day to get better at a game for money. Okay, our task is much more important than that. Our task has eternal implications. And so how much do you practice? How much do you open the word of God? How much do you study God's word so that you can fulfill your duty and your responsibility to teach and train your children? How much do you study God's word? Well, scripture needs to fill our hearts and minds so that we can use it to fill our children's and instruct our children's heart. So we gotta read scripture. We have to study scripture. You know, get on a reading plan. You know, hold one another accountable. You know, we were at the beginning of the year here. If you haven't started a reading plan yet, go ahead and start one. And whether, you know, version, the app on your phone, is your friend. You can press play and just play it in the car. Listen to it. 
Read the word. Beginning, begin to read it. Men, you're the head of your home, so take the lead here. You know, we're going to start a reading plan. We're going to do this together. We're going to read it together or whatever and keep one another accountable. If this is not a pattern in your life, you need to start now. Start today. Open the word of God and just read God's word. Another thing that you can do just to look at starting a, a regular Bible program is if you have a family devotion that you're going to start using, and I'm going to go through some options for that here in a little bit, read ahead that day's devotion that you're going to read with your kids. Read ahead. Study that. And so then when you open it up with your kids, it's not the first time that you've read that passage of Scripture in a while. So begin to read God's Word and begin to study the Bible. Study Scripture. If you don't have a study Bible, get one. Okay? You want your kids to begin going to you for questions with questions about the Bible. And you need to have some answers. You need to start growing, getting some skills in biblical answers. Okay? It's important that you know some of the answers. You know, if a, a soldier would be a pretty inept soldier, couldn't faithfully execute his duty if he couldn't do certain things. I don't know exactly what they are, depending on his job, but he would probably need to load and fire a gun, for example. He need to be trained on how to do that. He would have to have some skill in order to be a good soldier. Well, we need to be faithful to instruct our kids in the Word of God, and so we need to study Scripture. So if you don't have a study Bible, buy a study Bible. There's, and you won't find any books cheaper than in our bookstore. Okay, so MacArthur Study Bible. There's also an ESV Study Bible, which is excellent. There's a Reformation Study Bible in there as well, which I don't recommend quite as much, but it could be helpful as well. Um, and you won't, you'll never know all the answers. You could study the Bible until... You're old and gray every day, all day, and you're never going to know all of the answers, but you need to know some of them. So you must be a student of the Bible. So let me encourage you to do that. Let me encourage you to open your Bible, read your Bible, and study your Bible because you will never have more influence over another human being than you have over your kids. And you want to be able to have some answers and be able to instruct them in the Word of God. And so study the scriptures, read the scriptures, memorize scripture. It is so helpful for your growth to have scripture that, you can memor- that you've memorized, that you can meditate all day long on, whether you're in the car or whatever. You're driving down the road. You can meditate on scripture. And you can only do that really well is if, you've, if you've memorized it. And this is also gonna help in your parenting. So we want the scriptures to fill our hearts and minds. It's helpful when you're parenting to, to have some scriptures just kind of on the fly, in the flow of life, in the rhythm of life as you're instructing your kids. I mean, you always have a Bible in your pocket now, but it's also helpful to just be able to instruct them with the word of God because you've memorized it. And last, you need to be marinating or meditating on scripture as well. This just goes along with a memorization. So Psalm 1 says to delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate on it day and night. So let me encourage you to let Scripture fill your hearts and minds so that you can faithfully um, um, fulfill your duty and be faithful to instruct your children. Sixthly, we need to emphasize the gospel in instructing our children. We need to prioritize Scripture and we need to emphasize the gospel. So we've been in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. If you want to turn back over there. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 16, which says, You, however, 
Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood or infancy you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired or breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we play a pivotal role, a God-given role in the lives of our kids through gospel witness. Now thankfully, we are not called to results. We are not called to save our kids. You know, if I was called, it was my job to save my kids, I would be a nervous wreck all the time. But we're not called to that. If you were responsible to save your kids, your kids would not be saved. None of them would. Because we can't, we don't have the ability to do that. Salvation is from the Lord. Jonah 2.9. Salvation is from the Lord. You know, you look at that story. Nineveh repented and believed and was saved. Nineveh, that horrible town, that horrible city. And Jonah didn't even want to be there. He was faithful to deliver the message, but it was kind of a, a half-hearted thing. But if the message is true and God is moving, he will use that to save people. And so we need to be true to the message. We need to emphasize the gospel when instructing our kids. We need to do that with passion and then trust the Lord. You are not called to save your kids, but you are called to be faithful to them. Salvation is from the Lord. Faithful to the message and model Christ-like. And so we want to emphasize the truth of the gospel. You know, the gospel is a set of truths about who God is. He's the creator of all things. He owns all things. He owns each and every one of us. Psalm 24.1 makes it clear that we belong to God, the earth and those who dwell therein. And as our creator, he has the right, the prerogative to tell us what to do. And he says, you must be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. And man is not holy. We are sinful from birth and we sin willfully against that God and so God must act he sent Christ who lived a perfect life died on the cross and rose again and our response must be repent of our sins and trust alone in Jesus Christ those are the set of truths that I and you and your kids have to understand in order to be saved but the gospel is also the story of scripture I mean you could sum up the the story of scripture in four words creation fall redemption new creation and that is the thread that runs throughout all the Bible, the re- redemption thread from Genesis to Revelation. And so we need to emphasize the truth of that. And, you know, you need, we can do that in an age-appropriate way. We can make it compelling. Um, we want to do that skillfully in a way that it's age-appropriate and, and endearing to our kids, but it has to be the right message. Okay, we don't want to oversimplify it so much so that we change the message. They need the full gospel message presented in a compelling and appropriate way. So we need to do that. Um, and the gospel is not just for salvation. It's not just for salvation. It's not a one-time thing. As you emphasize the truth of the gospel with your kids, never get past it. All of the New Testament books were written to believers. These are people in the churches that were already in Christ and what is emphasized throughout the epistles? The gospel. The New Testament authors never get past the gospel. It's always in there. It's saturated in the scripture and that was, these were written to believers. And I hope 
with all my heart that your kids embrace the Savior at a young age through your ministry, if the Lord wills it, and then continue to present the gospel, gospel to them day after day, week after week, because the gospel is necessary also for sanctification. It needs to be a central reality in our lives. It's where we get our, our um, foundation of thankfulness. If we have nothing else, we have Christ through the hardest times. And so it's a, it needs to be a central reality in our lives. The core of love that God has for them is the gospel. Um, Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us. How? How does God demonstrate his love for us and for our kids? Through the gospel. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the, the way that God shows his love is through the gospel. So always rehearse it, always proclaim it, always praise God for it, always lift him up as an awesome God who saves sinners like you and like your kids and like everybody. And as we emphasize the gospel, it's important that they know that the gospel is not just for them. It's not just for my family, but that the, go the gospel is the only hope for all people everywhere. Okay, so we need to emphasize the need for the gospel, for them and for others. You know, God has commanded that those who know him be witnesses and proclaim this message to the nations. So if you tell your kids that they need the gospel and you tell them how important it is and that there's a, the majority of people out there are on the broad road to destruction and don't know Christ, they're in the darkness and need the light and then they never hear you share the gospel with anybody, it's not gonna come across to them as being very important. Okay, so sharing the gospel with others is very important. They need to realize that this is important to you that other people um, are in Christ. You know, sharing the gospel with others has given Beth and I many opportunities to talk with, about the gospel with our kids. Um, and I am by no means, you know, nearly as faithful to this as I should be. But one of the places that I like to share the gospel is when I get my hair cut. Let me rephrase that. One of the ways I used to share the gospel is when I got my hair cut. I don't need a haircut anymore. I just buzz it off, right? Because I don't have any hair. But I would enjoy doing that because I would take my two sons with me when we would go to the, you know, the cut and corral or whatever it is. And we'd sit there and I, the lady would be cutting my hair and I would share the gospel with her. And I would usually talk pretty loud for the benefit of the other hair cutters, for the benefit of her and for the benefit of my kids because I wanted them to hear me sharing the gospel. I wanted them to hear her responses and how I responded to her. Several benefits, right? One, they hear me sharing the gospel. They know it's important. They're learning how to do it. And then we would sometimes chalk talk that on the way home or at the dinner table later on. All right, what did you think of her response when I said this to her? How do you think I could have done this better? What could I have said that would have been more impactful to her? And it's interesting to hear their answers. But we need to be, we need to emphasize that there is a worldwide need for the gospel. And so we need to have our kids see us doing that from time to time and talking about it and talking about missionaries and those so on and so forth. So the need for the gospel, also the response to the gospel. Mark 1.15, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. We have to call our kids to repent of their sins, sorrow over their sin. They've sinned not against me, but against the God of all creation. And they must repent of that with heartfelt sorrow 
turn from their sin and trust in the Savior. So there are some kind of unique challenges with evangelizing children. Um, it's helpful to avoid some pitfalls. Um, there is a booklet called Evangelizing Children down in the children's building. It's a very helpful resource. I would encourage you to, to thumb through that. Actually, I would encourage you to read it, not just thumb through it, because it is super duper helpful. This was put together um, kind of a coordinated effort for, with um, the uh, Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's church, and then our elders have, have put this booklet together. It's very, very helpful. So I'd encourage you to pick that up. Um, but just a couple of things real quick to think through as you're avoiding some pitfall. You want to be careful not to coerce a response to the gospel. You know, children are easily malleable. They want to please their parents, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I used to think like a child, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 14, 20, do not be like children in your thinking. Ephesians 4, 14, be no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So, as parents, we're not just trying to get them to profess, uh, give a profession of faith. You can get them to do that. I mean, if you talk about how horrible hell is and how wonderful heaven is, and those are good things that kids need to know. If you say, this is terrible, you don't want to go here, you want to go to this place, repeat after me this prayer, they're going to do that. Right? But that doesn't mean that they're saved. It doesn't mean that they have a, a full understanding of the gospel, that they've repented of their sins and they've trusted in Jesus just because they've prayed a prayer that you've led them in. So be careful not to do that. It doesn't mean that we can't evangelize them, though. We're faithful to the message without coercing a response, okay? And we also want to be sure not to improperly assure our children of their salvation. Can children be saved? Absolutely. Absolutely they can. Do we share the gospel with them? Of course we do. Just be cautious not to assure your children of their salvation because the fruit in their lives is what the Bible says is going to begin to give them confidence in their salvation as they are tested and as they go through some trials and they show themselves to be faithful, those are the things that are gonna give them and you confidence that they truly are in Christ. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 15 to 20, he says, beware of false prophets. This is specifically talking about false prophets, but it applies to us as well. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do, not, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Um, and so we plant the seed, we pray that it would grow, and we trust the Lord, and we'll wait until we see what grows and what blooms. You know, Beth and I used to, up in Idaho, we would love to plant a vegetable garden. We had a, a greenhouse, and up there, very short summers, so you had, we had a greenhouse, and we planted this on an old cow, or I'm sorry, um, horse pasture from years and years ago. So it was, it was amazing what came out of there. Um, but when you first plant the seeds, often we would put the kids in charge of labeling the rows. So you have a row of peas and then a row of beans and a row of cucumbers or whatever. And you put them in a row and then you, they would label those with a stick and a, and a, you know, a label. And when, so when it started to sprout, you'd say, oh, look, the peas are coming up and there's the cucumbers and there's the beans. Because when they sprout, they all look the same and I don't know enough about it to tell the difference when it's just a sprout. 
but sometimes it would become obvious that the kids mixed up the labels, right? And so you think you have peas, but it's a vine, and it starts growing this massive green watermelon, right? And so you wouldn't, you wouldn't affirm the fruit based on the label. Well, that looks like a watermelon, but the label says peas, so um, I mean, these are weird peas, but we're going with that, right? No, it's the fruit that's going to show you exactly what it is. Well, in the same way, it's the, the fruit of righteousness in our hearts, it's the fruit of righteousness in our children's hearts that will begin to, to show that with confidence that they are truly in Christ. One author says, um, this is Jim Elif, says, can children be confer- converted at a young age? Yes. Can we know with certainty that they are converted at a young age? Often not. Colossians 1, 21 to 23, the blessedness of being born again, Paul talks about that and he says, if indeed you remain in the faith. Um, the theme of 1 John is the tests of eternal life. Right? You have a profession of faith, but do you understand the gospel? Do you love God? Do you love people? Do you love the word? Do you have a pattern of obedience to Christ? And, and John, over and again, he wrote the book of 1 John to give confidence Yes, I have these in my life and therefore I know I am assured that I am in Christ. But if those things are absent, then we we don't want to improperly assure of salvation. But here's a key, guys, very important, that we are careful not to discourage this in our kids. Always encourage biblical evidences of salvation. Always encourage them to trust the Savior, to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. But just be careful not to improperly and um, to quickly assure the children of their salvation. A couple of quick things. What about baptism? You know, um, at Countryside here, we encourage baptism to wait until the age of 12 or after. Why is that? Well, young children often desire to please their parents and or either please their parents or please others in life. Maybe they see the you know, the baptism service and they see the attention that people are getting and so they, they want that. So there's other reasons kids might want to be baptized. Um, you want to, des- you desire time to display more kind of independent fruit in their life, independent displays of salvation and oftentimes young kids, it's very hard to recognize that and you want them to remember the event. This is a one-time event in the life of your kids and you want them to, to remember that. Um, and so the elders of Countryside recommend waiting until no earlier than the age of 12 for kids to be baptized. What about the Lord's table? You know, the Lord's table is for believers as well. Well, baptism is a command from God, so is taking the Lord's table, and I don't believe that it's necessary to withhold the Lord's table from a child who has a profession of faith and is showing some fruit in their life because they haven't been baptized because that decision is from you and the elders of the church and not them. And there's a difference between baptism and communion. Baptism, baptism is a one-time event. Um, communion is, it is necessary and important for regular, it's a regular opportunity for self-evaluation and you want your kids to get used to doing that. Um, and so pray through those things. Um, communion is not something that should be entered into lightly. Um, baptism, of course, isn't either. There's a really good resource called Let's Get Ready for the Lord's Table that is in our bookstore that you could go through with your kids if they have a profession of faith and you, you uh, begin to think that they can start taking communion. Read through that book with them. Read through it with your, uh, with your spouse. And I, I was actually going through this and I was, you know, I need to do that with one of our kids as well. Um, so I'm gonna 
grab that book again. I don't know if we still have our copy of it, if we give it away, but so... Bottom line, we want to emphasize the gospel in instructing our kids, regardless of whether your children have a profession of faith, whether you believe they're believers and they need this for sanctification, or we just want to do that to glorify God and talk about how thankful we are that he is a God who saves, or if you just want to continue to trust God for their salvation. We need to emphasize the gospel. And lastly, we need to be intentional in instructing our children. Be intentional while instructing our children. We have read Deuteronomy 6 multiple times, but why don't we turn back to Deuteronomy 6 again one more time and look through that. We'll read through that. This is just a very instructive portion of Scripture for us as parents. Deuteronomy 6 Um, the focus on formal instruction here. Let's look at what it says about formal instruction. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments with the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, this is Moses talking, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, You should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may greatly multiply as as just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. The heart of God here is that Israel would remain faithful and not forget what they were taught and that they would prosper. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words, scriptures, the Torah, instructions for godly life, these words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Guys, God wants us to be intentional in instructing our children through formal instruction. Formal instruction. Verse seven says, you shall teach the word of God diligently to your sons. That word diligently has the idea of recitation again and again and again, over and over and over again. The idea of repetition. The idea of carving something in stone. To carve something in stone takes a long time, but there's benefit to that because it can't be, re- be erased. Etching something in stone lasts. You know, both giving formal instruction in a structured sit-down way and also taking advantage of just everyday life opportunities to instruct our kids. There was an expectation in ancient Israel that fathers would carefully do this. They would carefully instruct their kids, that they would take them and read the word with them, that they would do that also through festivals and feasts that God gave them to bring back to remembrance year after year after year those things. And keep in mind, this is not presented in a, well, if you get around to it kind of way. It's not presented in that way. It's a, you must do that. You are expected to be doing this. And the nice thing about it is that this is actually fun. It's fun to do this if you do it the right way. You're learning right around with them. And one of the best ways to do this is through family worship. Now, there's there's three um, resources here. If you're aren't used to doing this or you just want to read a resource on how you can get more fruit out of it that might be really helpful for you. And I've got them up there. 
these three resources here, uh, Rediscovering the Lost Treasure of Family Worship, Family Worship by Donald Whitney, and then also Family Worship by Joel Beakey. Okay, so if you're not doing this, you know, remember kids can understand more than you think. God commands Christ-like faith in all of us. You know, often things that we struggle believe, to believe because we don't understand them, our kids will readily believe. Again, we're not coercing a response. Our kids just will naturally believe God and his word, even though they don't completely understand it either. You know, some worry that um, formal instruction will bore their kids or cause them to be turned off. Well, it's only boring to them if it's boring to you. If it's fun for you, it's gonna be fun for them. Remember, you're the example. You're the model of this. This is important to you. This is fun for you. You make it creative, and it's gonna be fun, okay? Joel Beakey says this. He gives instructions here in his Family Worship Bible Guide. He says, lead family worship with a firm, fatherly hand and a soft, penitent heart. Speak with hopeful solemnity. Talk naturally yet reverently during this time. Use the tone that you would use when speaking to a deeply respected friend about a serious matter. Expect great things from a great God. God should be served in several acts of worship in family today, including Bible instruction, prayer, and song. And regular, intentional family worship will begin to anchor your family in the truth of God's word. They'll see it's important to you and they'll start to anchor themselves in that as well. Hebrews 2.1 says, for this reason, and if you read the first chapter of Hebrews, the reason is the radiance of the glory of Christ, understanding that Jesus is Lord, he's the creator, he upholds all things by the word of his power, and because of that, for this reason, Hebrews 2.1 says, we must pay close attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away from it. Pay close attention so we don't drift away. What keeps a boat from drifting away or being dashed apart on the rocks? The anchor. The anchor keeps the boat firm. What keeps your family from drifting away from the truth? Regular family worship will do that. So pay close attention to what you've heard in Scripture. And consistent family worship can anchor your family in the truth of God's Word. And guys, you don't have to make this complicated. Read the Bible, explain the Bible apply it in a way that they understand and then grab a hymnal, sing a song, and then pray. It's not super complicated. You just need to do it um, consistently. So I've put together a few tips, okay? Family worship tips derived from Joel Beakey's Family Worship Bible Guide, okay? Here's a few tips. First, have a plan. Have a plan for your family devotion, okay? Prepare ahead of time. Maybe combine your devotion with your, your personal devotion with the family devotion. Prepare ahead of time. In the morning, you read it. You study it for a, few, for a little bit, and that's your devotion time. And then the evening, you teach it to your kids. And having a family devotion guide is gonna be very helpful for you. Super duper helpful for me as well. Aim for brevity. You know, make them want to come back. Maybe leave it on a cliffhanger. You know, end the lesson when Joseph is thrown into the pit. I wonder what's gonna happen. Let's come back tomorrow and, and they'll be ready and they'll want to hear what's happening. These stories are engaging, you know? Make them fun. Make them want to come back next time, okay? Next, have a regular schedule. Do this at the same time every day or regularly, okay? This might be at the dinner table. It might be at the breakfast table. The benefit of doing this at, during a meal is you have to eat every day. 
Typically, you're all together for the meal. So push the plates back, grab the Bible, and do your family devotion at that time. You're already there together. Maybe you should do this at bedtime. That's another time. The benefit of doing it at bedtime is your kids won't forget. Right? Oh, time for bed. Oh, Dad, we haven't done our family devotion yet. Like, oh, you're right, okay? We're gonna take a few minutes, we're gonna do that. Your kids will remember it and they'll be excited about it, okay? Third, involve the family, okay? Ask good questions. Ask open-ended questions. And here's where a devotion guide is gonna be really, your, gonna be your friend because they've got built-in questions and if they're good questions, they're heart-probing questions that go at the end of the lesson, okay? So try not to ask yes or no questions, uh, but open-ended questions. You know, maybe let your kids read some of the passages. Now, this is very helpful for them to, to read some of the passages. Next, make it fun, okay? Laugh. Some of the best memories that we have are around the kitchen table reading and making it fun and enjoying our kids' um, absorbing this word of God. Make it fun. Remember, if it's fun for you, it's gonna be fun for them. Okay, fifth, be simple but not shallow. We want to make this age appropriate, but it has to be the truth. Okay, help them understand that there are infinite depths to, the, to God's word. It is simple enough that a child can understand and something that they will never fully comprehend. Okay, J.C. Ryle says this. He says to parents about their kids, fill their minds with scripture. Let the word dwell in them richly. Give them the Bible, the whole Bible, even while they are young. Okay, so we want to make it simple and age appropriate, but we don't want, to, don't want to water down the message. Everything is not Jesus loves you, okay? Next, encourage questions and dialogue. We talked about this already. You know, always praise and allow for comment at, at the comment or questions. Okay, always praise a good question. That's a really good question. That's something I didn't even think about. That's really good. Thank you for asking that, you know? Or I had the same question, actually, and I looked it up, and here's the answer. When I was looking at this earlier, you know, um, praise and, and comment on their questions. Let them know that, or tell them ahead of time, you know, we're gonna read through Proverb 3, the, the third Proverbs, and I'm gonna ask you two or three questions. Or I want you to come up with either a question that you have or something you don't understand, or something that specifically is gonna help you, and then they'll know you're gonna go around, you're gonna ask them those things, and so their minds are engaged and they're not just thinking off in la-la land because they've gotta come up with a couple of questions. So tell them ahead of time. As you read through this, I want you to tell me something you don't understand or something that really spoke to you on how you can change or whatever, so they're ready. Okay, don't feel like you need to finish the material either. Okay, just take your time. If, if that first question is, is just really eye-opening to them and, and it's causing a lot of dialogue, just roll with it. Don't feel like, okay, I've got, I'm, I'm, I gotta go to work, so I gotta get through these other stuff. No, there's always tomorrow. Just let it happen. Okay, encourage questions and dialogue. Be relevant in the application. Relevant, and I guess scripture's always relevant. Better here would be specific. Okay, be specific to apply the story or the lesson to their problems, whatever it is, sharing or respectfulness or forgiveness. Tie it to a struggle that they're having in school. Okay, you've got the finger on the pulse of what is a struggle in your family. Okay, so as you're reading through these things, make that applicable um, to them and to you and to your family. And then the last thing here is require attention. Proverbs 4.1 says, Hear children, 
Listen, children, the instruction of your father and attend to no understanding. Make sure that they are alert. Okay? Now, it's up to you. You know, this is up, up to you completely, but Beth and I didn't really allow our kids to lounge around and lay around while we did this. We wanted them to sit up with their Bible and pay attention, um, but that's completely up to you. And dads, don't be intim- intimidated. You know, if you don't know the answer, I mean, kids will ask some amazing questions and questions that you didn't think of. If you don't know the answer, just say, that's a great question. Let's find out together. I'm gonna look it up and we'll talk about that tomorrow. You know, that'll be the subject of, t- of the next day's devotion. Okay, and pray for your time. Pray beforehand. Lord, I pray that this is fruitful. Pray that you would open the hearts and the minds of our kids to understand this. Moms, always be supportive. Be supportive of the time that, you're, that dad wants to do it. Let him lead the discussion. Remember, you're on the same team. Let him lead. And dads, incorporate your mom so that she's a part of this as well. So as we look at a few resources that will help with this, I just have a, have a few here on the screen. There is a more robust list in your handout at the back there that you can look at later. These make really good Christmas gifts as well. So if you keep this list with you, this is a list that the Andersons, um, along with Beth and I, came up with. And so we're just gonna go through these quickly. First is Kids Bible. So Kids Bibles are not a Bible with pictures, but a book that kind of presents the story of the Bible with a common theme. And so it'll present the story of Scripture uh, with the big themes of Scripture, of God, sin, salvation or redemption, new creation, those types of things. Okay, so the first one is Big Picture Story Bible. Okay, so this is as, as your kids are really young, big picture in two different ways. One, there's big, vibrant pictures, and two, it's covering the big picture of Scripture, of a big, loving God, a redeeming God, a promise-keeping God, and sinful people and this is gonna consistently point them to Christ. So this is a good one when your kids are young. As they start to get older, there's another option, the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is good because it's constantly, from beginning to end, pointing to the rescuer. And it, it constantly is tying these stories to the gospel. And none of these are perfect, okay? There's gonna be some of these that are like, huh, that's kind of an interesting way to put it, but I mean, just you can skip right over that part, right? So it's repeated throughout this one that God loves his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, which is basically a definition of hesed, which is how God describes himself as steadfastly loving his children. So this does that without watering down the message as a lot of kids' Bibles do to just simply God loves everybody equally, which is not the truth, okay? Another one, this was a big one for the Andersons that they had. Um, It's older, 365 Bible stories for young hearts. Last year at this time, it was, you could get it really cheap. It was only $159 on eBay. I guess it's out of print. But I checked, and this year it's only 15. So my advice would be grab it now, read it this year, and then sell it for like 10 times the profit next year, okay? (laughs) And don't be confused because there's a 365 read aloud Bible time, Bible stories that's different than 365 Bible stories for young hearts. So this one's better than the other one. And these are all listed listed again in the back. Okay, here's a newer one that is excellent, okay? It's a mouthful to say, the biggest story Bible storybook. Bad name, good book, okay? (laughs) Um, but I highly recommend this. It's great, got great pictures, great um, theme, um, 
covers all the narratives. It's got some really kind of humorous remarks in there that make it fun for the kids. It's very engaging. It's helpful for young kids and older kids as well. Um, it does a good job of tying the stories together with a common theme of, again, a big, loving, redeeming God and sinful man that needs a redeemer. Great illustration. So with these like kind of storybook Bibles, think bedtime story. Hey, although you can use these for your family devotion. So right now, we've gone through the generations of grace um, a couple of times in my home. So right now, we are reading one of these and we're reading a proverb and depending on the story, we'll read the story from the Bible itself, then we'll read the story from Kevin DeYoung, his kind of rendition of that, and then we'll read a proverb. So that's what we're doing right now. So this is really good. Um, there's also this Marty Murkowski one, the Gospel Story Bible. All of Marty Murkowski's stuff that we have done is excellent, very good stuff. Um, there's another option. This is basically, I think, the same book with a, for younger kids. Um, and then as your kids get older, this is a great one, this, the Child's Story Bible. You'll see that there's fewer and fewer pictures, more and more text in here. So as your kids get older, maybe they're reading things on their own. Buy this for them, and they'll just read through the narratives of Scripture presented in an age-appropriate way, okay? So what about family devotion guides? Family devotion guides, okay? Well, I've got three here, actually a little bit more than three, but three in particular that I would recommend, okay? So the first one is the Generations of Grace family devotion guide. So think of this as the fully loaded Chevy Suburban of the family devotion guide, okay? It has everything you need, a lot of what you don't need but you really want, and you can get all of the family in there together to do it, okay? This is good in all scenarios, okay? It's interesting, gets the whole family involved, even the older kids. It's inc it includes a lot of good heart-probing questions that aren't just you know, for preschool age kids or even elementary age kids, but as your kids mature and get into high school, you're reading through these narratives, you're reading through the commentary with them, you're asking these questions and they're heart probing even for some older kids. Okay, the great thing about this is this is the correct curriculum that your kids are learning in Sunday school. Okay, so there's a couple ways you can do this. You could let them learn the lesson in Sunday school and then read it, and then this is broken up, this family devotion guide in five days. So they learn about the lesson Sunday, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's broken up into five chunks where you read the passage, there's Bible reading every day, you read the curricula, the uh, commentary about that, and you ask questions. And so what's fun is your kids have already kind of heard the lesson at Sunday school, you're reinforcing that, and they know a lot of these answers, and they're eager to answer them. Okay, so you can do it that way, or you could go ahead a week and make your kids the all-stars in the Sunday school class, and they know all the answers, okay? Which we don't care about that. I'm just kidding. Um, other thing about this that's great is I promise you, as you read through this commentary day after day after day, you read through the Bible, you are going to learn a lot, okay? I learn a lot every time I read through this uh, commentary, okay? So this is great. Next, I would recommend all of Marty Mikowski's stuff, Beth and I haven't done this long story short, which is the Old Testament and Old Story New, which is the New Testament version, but they're really, supposedly, really, really good, other folks I've talked to. But these two we have done, so wise up and listen up, okay? So think of these two as a Jeep Wrangler of the family devotion guide, okay? It's not your daily driver, but it's really good for a specific purpose, okay? It's like a Jeep Wrangler of the family devotion guide. Okay, so this Wise up walks through the Proverbs. Listen up walks through the parables. And so 
Like in our Sunday school class, we use the generations of grace during the school year, and then in the summertime, we transition, we do something different in Sunday school. And so what we've done is typically, we'll go through the, the generations of grace following the school year, and then we'll transition to either wise up or listen up during the summer, and we'll go through that. Um, so you can pull it out, excellent 10-minute pointed lessons with great um, discussion, okay? Next is Joel Beakey's Family Worship Bible Guide, okay? This guy here is like the 99 beige Toyota Corolla of family devotions, okay? (laughs) No bells and whistles, nothing silly like pictures or anything like that. Has nothing that you want, but it will never leave you stranded. It just keeps going over and over and over again until your son rear ends somebody and you only have liability insurance, and then it, it fails, okay? But, so this guy will never let you down, okay? It's really good. It, it has great Bible exposition. Um, it's written by Joel Beakey. Um, I believe this is in our um, bookstore as well. Really, really good resource um, here as well, okay? So family devotion guides. What about theology resources, okay? As you're Thinking of family devotions, you know, it's important that we follow the narratives. Those are fun for your kids, but you also want your kids to have kind of a well-rounded theology of Scripture as well. Okay, there's a couple of these that that are very helpful, okay? One is Theology, which is written by Marty Mikowski. It has kind of a narrative kind of story that goes with it, um, but also every one of these stories covers one of the theologies, okay? So you want your kids to have a well-rounded kind of understanding of things like the Trinity, Okay, that there is one God and three separate and distinct persons. It's not that there's three gods. It's not that there's three parts of the one God. There's one God and three separate and distinct persons. We want our kids to understand that as much as possible. So while they're young, this book is a great way to start to get them to understand those types of things. But it's also written with kind of a story, so it, it keeps it going. We've had a good time reading that. As they get older, this br- book by Bruce Ware, Big Truths for Young Hearts, is great for theology as well. So those are some things you can do for family worship, Bible reading, Bible study, and so on and so forth. There are other things that you can do as a means of formal instruction. And by the way, you could just open the Bible and read the Bible. You know, that's always fun too. You could do that. Um, other things for, for um, formal instruction are catechism questions, okay? So we have a catechism that we use here at Countryside Bible Church, and it's based on the... Um, songs for saplings which I've got three DVDs over here so somebody has taken this catechism and put them to song and so what it is is it's just like this song is a question and they answer it and then they sing the Bible verse that goes with it it's a great way to do that so this is the, the catechism that we use in our Sunday school program is based off of the songs for sapling and if you want to get this you can get it several different ways one there's a booklet in the children's building, looks like this, and this just has all of our catechism questions, all 60-something of them, 62 of them, one by one, and they're learning these in their Sunday school class, so get on track with that, right? What, they're, what they've learned in the Sunday school class, at the end of your family devotion, pull this baby out, read through the, the question and answer in the verse, okay? They've already learned it, and they're, they're ready to go with it. If you don't have the booklet, you can go online to our children's webpage, our Sunday school page, and down at the bottom, you'll see catechism. You know, on that particular day is the catechism question that your kids learned on that day. And there's also a song that goes with it, okay? The song for the, the um, 
for that particular question, okay? Now, I'm gonna play one of the songs. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it, but I'm gonna play it. This is not Mozart, but it, it is a good way to get these truths into your heart, the hearts of your kids, okay? I don't know if you can hear it, but. That's the question. That's it. Okay, so they hear about it in Sunday school. You could play the song on the ride home. You could get this, the CDs, and those are all available if you want to take them. There's three versions of it. Great ways for you to get truth into the hearts and minds of your kids in a question and answer form. Okay, I would recommend doing that. So catechism questions are great for formal instruction. Also, scripture memory. Guys, we have a great scripture memory program called Awana at our church. We meet Sunday evenings. Um, it starts, Cubby's age three, okay? Think about getting involved with this, with this if you're not, okay? This is a great way, way for your kids to begin to memorize scripture. Other things that you can do, you know, post large kind of uh, pictures or, or writings or whatever of scripture in your house and every week if you're homeschooling or maybe they're just walking through the house or whatever. Get your kids used to memorizing scripture and do this along with them and let them test you. Like, do you know the scripture for this week? Scripture memory is very important for formal instruction. Also, good music. Good music, there's something about good, theologically sound, Christ-exalting music when you play it in your house that will begin to adjust the attitudes in your home. Maybe you're just struggling with something in your house. Just playing good songs that have theological rich truths and honor the Lord is an awesome way for you to adjust the attitudes in your house. And when I say good music, good music to me, good, Christ, good kids music is good content that I want to listen to as well, right? Because if, if it's not any good for, for us to listen to, it's just gonna be a pain. You're not gonna wanna listen to it in the car. Okay, so here's some really good music for your kids that you will more than likely enjoy as well, okay? So there is this. This is Sovereign Grace Kids, and these are all in the back, okay? These are excellent, excellent songs. Also, the Gettys have some wonderful music, okay? These are kids' hymnals. Um, also, I've talked about the songs for saplings over here. Those are really good. Randall Goodgame has a thing called Slugs and Bugs, Sing Through the Bible, which is good. We haven't got into that as much as some of the other ones, but we have done this a lot, okay? These, uh, these are good. Seeds Family Worship. Again, check the back there. Also, Hidden in My Heart, Scripture Lullabies. We started listening to this when Annabelle was a baby. She's 18 now, and she has massive amounts of Scripture that she knows because she can just sing it. And she, she learned it going to sleep over and over and over again, these large portions of Scripture. So good music is helpful in formal instruction as well as um, just entertainment. Okay, also good books and movies. Okay, and when I say good books and movies, I mean they're entertaining and they have good content, okay? So one thing is biographies. Biographies are important because they were gonna, are gonna get your kids' mind off of themselves and onto somebody else. Somebody else that had a lot of struggles. Life is difficult. We need to be thankful for the blessings that we have. Look what they went through and they remained faithful, those types of things. Okay, you need to, you can read these together as a family. You can let them read them on themselves. You know, you have to read this before you read something else and then they start reading it and they realize they actually really like it. 
or you have to read this for 30 minutes before you can do 30 minutes of this other activity, you know, read it together as a family or let them read it for themselves. Also, this is, these are kids' books by J.C., uh, R.C. Sproul, rather, and John MacArthur. Great books, questions at the end that connect the heart to the story, to the gospel. Also, books as your kids get older, Little Pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress. There's also a helpful version for kids and adults that's in today's English. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is great. There's also Lamplighter. You know, these are older books that have been republished. Um, they're kind of expensive, so maybe grandparents are asking for what to get for Christmas. <laughs> these Lamplighter books are really good. There's also an audio version that is kind of an audio theater that you can listen in the car. When we have done this, our kids initially started saying, do we have to, wa- do we have to listen to this? And then by the end, they're like, hey, can we drive around the block a little bit more because this is really good, right? These are excellent, excellent stories, these uh, lamplighters. Um, also, the Wingfeather Saga, my, these are exciting stories with a gospel allegory that my kids just devoured multiple, multiple times. Okay, good kids' movies are also good. There's an excellent high-ish production of The Pilgrim's Progress that's excellent. There are, uh, these torchlighters are biographies of, of Christian men and women, and the children, or the Jesus Storybook Bible has been put to kind of an animated DVD, which is kind of just the pictures from the book, and they just kind of flip around a little bit, but it's good for kids. Okay, so these are ways that you can introduce some formal instruction to your kids, okay? So we need to be doing formal instruction with our kids, and we also need to be doing informal instruction. Talking every day informally, we talked about last week modeling Christ-likeness in your home, but guys, we also need to be taking advantage of the God-given opportunities just as we walk through life. You know, talking with your kids, making time for them in everyday interaction. We have to take advantage of those circumstances. So there's a really good book by John Younts called Everyday Talk, and the subtitle here is Talking Freely and Naturally About God with Your Children. I love that. Talking freely is a good way to put this. You just want this to roll off of your tongue in normal everyday life with your kids in all seasons of life you know spiritual conversations don't always have to be a sit-down discussion like a, a formal thing tad thompson says this he says moses understood that god's truth cannot be effectively taught if it is confined to the home or classroom how will our children believe that the bible is all is about all of life if we only talk about it during bible lessons To put it another way, discipleship is most effectively accomplished when the practice is integrated into the rhythm of everyday life. A consistent time of family worship, for example, is a great discipleship practice, but it's no substitute for a lifestyle of discipleship that encompasses the breakfast table, the car, bedtime, errands, and chores. There's not a single moment in life that cannot be used as an opportunity for instruction. And so our instruction must be informal as well as formal. Okay, and sorry, I didn't put this up for you. You could have followed along with me. Sorry about that. So in order to do this, it must flow from our own thoughts and hearts. Okay, if your heart and thoughts are consumed by something else, maybe your thoughts and hearts are consumed by politics, for example, and you see a homeless person on the side of the road and you, you might be tempted to go on a five-minute rant about how the Democrats are destroying the economy and Biden this and Biden that, right? You could do that. But if your thoughts 
and your heart is dwelling on Christ and loving others, then that would lead you to openly pray for that person. Ask the Lord to, to help them. Ask the Lord to help provide them, or maybe you help provide them. You're training your kids at what they should be thinking about, what's dominating your heart is gonna come out of your mouth when you see something like that. Sometimes there's something you feel like you need to discuss with your child, and it's a lot easier if it's a natural flow from your own heart, okay? So informal instruction should flow from your own thoughts and your own heart, what you're dwelling on daily, okay? You should also respond be a response to circumstances of life, okay? Just flowing from normal, everyday living. Again, if you see a man arrested on the side of the road, you know, tell your kids, I don't know exactly what happened, but chances are he's not being respectful to authority. He's being disrespectful. Or maybe he made a series of compromises. It started small, and then there was one more, and there was one more, and there was one more. Kids, we gotta take every thought captive. We gotta set our thoughts on things above, not on things on earth. That guy that's being arrested didn't set out to do that thing today, but it was one compromise that led to a next, led to the next. Again, I don't know exactly what's happened, but you can use those opportunities um, just every day to instruct our kids. Also, responding to the questions and statements of your kids, okay? So this is particularly challenging for us dads. There's a comic that Jonathan had in here when he was teaching the class that is really great. It's called Ask a Mom. Where do birds go in the winter? That's a great question. Let's go to the library and find a book on that. Ask a dad, where do birds go in the winter? That way, okay? So we need to listen to our kids and respond. Hear their questions and answer them. Dads, moms, put down the distraction. Okay, if you're distracted, if phone's distracting you, put that down. Look your kids in the eye. Hear the questions that they're asking and respond to them in a way that's gonna be informative and helpful. Okay, and as your kids get older, you're gonna need to make yourself available when they're ready to talk. It's gotten later and later as our kids have gotten older and older. And so it's like 11 o'clock, and I guess we're doing this now, right? And I'm, I'm cool with that because I wanna know what's on the heart of my daughter. Um, and each child is different. You know, you're gonna have to, if you have multiple kids, you're gonna have to be creative on how you can get some one-on-one time, whether that's um, going with one child to do errands. And rather than taking two or three, you're just going to take one, and then you have a chance to talk to them. Um, schedule date nights or coffee outings with each child one-on-one, and then ask good questions. Ask about what they want to talk about. That will begin to reveal their heart. You know, I can carry on a conversation about the, the right color glitter to go with this color of wet nail polish. I don't really care about that but they care about it, and so I care about it, right? I want to talk to them about it, and it's going to begin to reveal their hearts. It gives me windows into their heart, which is where their treasure is, and that allows me to disciple them, okay? So we need to do this, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but through purposeful discipline, addressing their hearts, right? We're not after behavior modification. We are addressing the hearts of our kids. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the wellsprings of life. Jesus said, from out of the mouth comes, uh, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. The fruits reveal the quality of the tree. The fruit is bad, then the roots are bad. Right? So check the root. If your tree is bad, check the heart if your kids are consistently bearing bad fruit, or if you are. Okay? And so we need to use Scripture to do that and address the heart using Scripture. 
We also, as we use scripture, I want to show you this really, really good resource here by Ginger Hubbard. Okay, this thing is $5 on Amazon right now, okay? Wise words for moms. This asks specific questions with specific verses all aimed at the heart. Okay, so it's laid out like this, and it's kind of hard for you to see that. Maybe you can see it, right? So let's say your kid has a problem with bragging or conceit. So a question you could ask, do those things bring glory and honor to God or to yourself? Okay, so then you want to reprove them or put off pride and help them put on humility. And there are verses right there, and if you want to have additional verses, they're in there. But these kind of child's behavior things, you're looking at the fruit, this behavior, and you want to address the heart, you have to ask heart-probing questions. And you've got to use Scripture. Probe the heart and appeal to the conscience. That's the next thing. Appeal to the conscience. If you read through 2 Samuel 12, after David had sinned with Bathsheba and took Uriah, took her from Uriah and had Uriah killed, God sent Nathan to David. And how did Nathan confront David? He gave a, a kind of heart-wrenching story to appeal to David's conscience. Right? The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children, and it would eat in his house, eat of the bread and drink of the cup and lie in in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or to, or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Right? He told this story, and David's anger burned greatly against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man surely deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he has done this thing and had no compassion. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul, right? Your kids have a God-given conscience. And so using stories, using questions, using illustrations, using analogies are going to help you appeal to that conscience in a creative way. Okay, so we looked at Nathan and David. You gotta use questions and stories, illustrations, and allegories, okay? Dad teaching his son about fornication and premarital sex, you know, the illustration of drinking cold water from a fridge or drinking water out of a toilet, right? That's a vivid picture that your kid's gonna stick with your son in your son's heart. Word pictures are powerful tools. And so try to have some of these in your back pocket that you can use. I sometimes try to just make them up on the fly and it's just like my kid's looking at me like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, it does. Let's forget about that and just go back to this, right? But if you have some kind of ready, that's very helpful. Lou Priolo says, when using the scripture for the purpose of conviction, you should take aim at the conscience of your children. You must try to disturb any complacency and indifference to sin and awaken to him the fact that he or she, what they have done or not done, something that is displeasing to God. One of the most effective ways of awakening the conscience in others to the sin is by asking them questions. And so all of our questions direct, man, I did it again. You guys could have been reading along with me. Um, Appeal to their conscience, directing toward the gospel, okay? 
What does this look like? Purposeful discipline, addressing the heart, appealing to conscience, using questions, directing to the gospel. Okay? This is different than behavior change. And so we use things like the questions that we talked about with um, discipline, right? These, these questions are heart-probing questions. You use something like the wise words for moms that we talked about. These are going to probe the heart of your kid. You see the behavior, you wanna connect it to the heart, which is going to give you a gospel opportunity. The other, the other option, guys, is manipulation or fear or reward, right? I'm just gonna keep disciplining you until you, uh, they, I make you obey, obey. I can't believe after all I've done for you, you can't give me a moment's rest, manipulating them. Or fear, you don't even wanna know what's gonna happen if I have to come up those stairs. I'm gonna make you afraid, right? Or reward, if you calm down, I'll give you ice cream. All of those things are aimed at the behavior. And the big problem is, eventually, the fear and the the manipulation and the reward don't work because eventually ice cream won't cut it. Eventually they don't fear you anymore. But those actions are coming out of their heart and so we have to get to the heart. We have to direct them toward the gospel. We need to point our kids to the fact that they need Christ just like I do. I know it's hard to obey. It's hard for me to obey too. That's why I need Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. Okay? So I'm gonna close with this question. I'm sorry, I'm gonna actually put it up here. This quote from Ted Tripp. It says, the central focus of child rearing is to bring children to a sober assessment of themselves as sinners. The focal point of, dis- of discipline and correction or instruction must be your children seeing their utter inability to do the things that God requires unless they know the help and strength of God. Discipline leads to the cross of Christ where sinful people are forgiven. That is our central focus. Help them understand their utter inability to do the things that they must do so that they trust in Jesus and ask for his help. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you that you have trusted us with our kids, Lord, to raise and be stewards of. Lord, I uh, ask you would strengthen us, that you would help us, Lord, that you would give us ways that we can instruct them in a way that would speak to their heart. Lord, I I pray that you would help us um, be faithful to this calling. In Jesus' name. Amen.